Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody glad you're here. You guys over here, up there, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to greet you personally. Feel the hug. Be the hug. I love you. Maybe Next week I'll start over here. Uh, man, if you're here for the first time, first time in a long time, we are delighted to have you with us. I want to greet those who are joining us online, and i got to ask you to come back next week. We launch a new teaching series called Battle Ready, and here's the deal. Nothing like getting to a better life, and a better life is worth fighting for, but you got to be battle ready. Nothing like getting to a better relationship, marriage, friendship, parenting. But you got to, I mean, it's worth fighting for, but you got to be battle ready. Nothing like getting to a better financial situation, emotional situation, mental situation. But you got to fight for it. You got to be battle ready, and it's all worth the fight. And so join us next week as we go through this series, week after week, getting battle ready for some of the most challenging but exhilarating experiences in life. And then today, we are culminating uh, the final teaching in our series, Who's Your One? And I just got an extra. I told you last week my mom and dad are on Moonshine. Uh, Moonshine is a town in Illinois, population two, and they make the two, two buildings in town, if you count the outhouse. And in that building, they make the greatest, not the outhouse, in the other building, they make the greatest, juiciest, hugest hamburgers in the world. And um, it operates, I mean, it's out in the stinking middle of nowhere. One country crossroad, places always packed, and my mom and dad are going back this coming Tuesday because they found some of their friends who've never been there. My dad's like, I'm taking you, and I'm buying. And that's how that business grows, word of mouth, and that's how the kingdom of God grows. Friends inviting friends and family bringing family. From our recent research in just this church, 75% of the people around you came for the very first time because a friend cared enough to invite them or a family member cared enough to invite them. And I bumped into a friend of mine this week. In fact, I've seen him a number of times over the past months. And as I walked away from our conversation, I realized, oh my gosh, I knew my friend doesn't go to church, hasn't gone for years, but I thought, you know, he just might say yes to the weekend when Daryl Strawberry comes to be our special guest speaker. I mean, like, oh my gosh, this guy won four World Series championships, was voted to the uh, professional baseball all-star team nine times, and then he blew it all, wrecked his life, lost all of his money drugs, alcohol, and illicit sex. And then he met Jesus and found recovery and restoration. God has restored Daryl Strawberry to God's best version of him, and he's coming here to tell us a story. Well, I decided I'm going to write my friend's name on this bookmark. And if you haven't got one of these, you can grab one on your way out. I have, who's your one? I've got six that I'm praying for every day using this prayer guide. And I think there's still some available. You can grab them on the way out. But we take these cards, we write names on both pieces. We tear them in half. You take your half to guest central, keep this half of the bookmark, and then 
We've got all these hundreds and hundreds of names stapled here to the cross. You pray for your one or your half dozen every day like I pray for mine, and our staff will come, come alongside and pray over all these hundreds and hundreds of names every week. I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for them and Daryl Strawberry right now. Would you join me, please? Our Father and our God, you are full of mercy. You love to show compassion. You desire, your heart is that every single person, every heart in every home in the state line will turn to you and experience your love. And that's what we're praying for, for all these friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members named here. Lord God, create a, a receptivity in them to say yes to our invitations. And then, Lord, would you uh, put your special favor on Daryl Strawberry? And when he tells his story, Lord, just let it be the most captivating that he's ever, that he's ever done. And I will thank you, Lord. He's a, a guy of great notoriety and fame, and yet he's willing to come to little old obscure Beloit, Wisconsin, to let us in on Jesus and how Jesus has changed his life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today I'm glad you're here because you get to hear me talk about Jesus and desperate housewives. No, 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 not those desperate housewives, but desperate housewives all the same. The first desperate housewife is a stalker. She is relentlessly tailing Jesus. Wherever he goes, she's after him. I mean, Jesus needs to get a restraining order on this crazy woman. And the second desperate housewife has just wrecked her life, wrecked her marriage. In fact, she's seated on death row awaiting her own execution. She's just been right now caught in the act, in bed with another woman's husband. And it looks like she's going to die. Now, in every service so far this weekend, I've not gotten to that desperate housewife. And so I may not today. But let's start with the stalker. Um, and you probably feel like I'm a stalker every weekend when I come around giving you a handshake or a hug if you want one. Um, but this woman, she is in desperate pain. And the story starts with Jesus doing something absolutely unprecedented, remarkable, unexpected. Here it is. Jesus left Galilee. No stinking way. The first people who would have opened the book of Matthew for the very first time and read this would have gone, what the heck? Who would ever want to leave Galilee? Let me show you a picture of Galilee. Um, every time we go to Israel, and our people are there with me in this beautiful place, they're like, we want to stay longer. We want to be here for another day, at least one more day in Galilee. You see, in the day of Jesus, we see the scenic beauty. But in the day of Jesus, people believed this place is more than beautiful. This place, this is where God lives. Hey, you want a religion, go to Jerusalem with all those holier than thou's, but you want a real relationship with God, you want to experience his presence profoundly and deeply, personally, you stay here in Galilee. Nobody wants to leave Galilee. So what the heck is Jesus doing? And this ain't the, the last what the heck is Jesus doing in this story, but why is he leaving Galilee? Here's the deal. He is on a mission. He is a man with a purpose. His followers, a cluster of 12 apprentices called disciples, they're trailing along behind, shaking their heads, thinking Jesus has lost his ever-loving mind because he's taking them into enemy territory. The people in this region are the wrong race. 
God doesn't live in this region. This is where the devil dominates. What is Jesus thinking? What is Jesus doing? Does he know where he's going? Here's what happens. Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Gentile, say Gentile. Yeah, Gentile, that's me. If, you are, if your mother is not Jewish and born Jewish, you are not a Jew. You are a Gentile. And the Jewish young men following Jesus held Gentiles in low regard. And a Gentile woman, worse than a junkyard dog. This Gentile woman who lived there came after Jesus. Now, evidently, she's heard of Jesus. His reputation has preceded him, but until this point, evidently, she has not dared cross the border into Galilee, probably for fear of her own life, probably for fear that she'd be abused, demeaned, disrespected, maybe chased off, maybe violent, violence done to her. But now Jesus has crossed the line. He's in her region, and she comes after him, pleading desperately. There is this agony. She won't stop crying out her agonizing desperation, and she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. What the heck? Son of David was an idiom, a Jewish idiom at that time that meant son of God. This woman believes that Jesus is God of the flesh. This woman believes that God the Father sent his son, and Jesus is that son. She calls him Lord. You are Lord, Lord of lords. Have mercy on me. Um, This is a huge prayer. It's a prayer, I believe, that Jesus answers every single time. It's an important prayer to me. It's a prayer that my Deb and I, when we pray nearly every evening and take communion, we pray this prayer. I say, oh God, have mercy on us as sinners. Because you know what mercy is? Mercy is God delivering me and you from painful consequences we deserve for the bad things we've done. So evidently this woman, this desperate housewife, holds herself responsible for some painful impossibility in her life. She is holding herself accountable for something terrible that's happened in her life. Evidently she thinks there are things that she has done that that those behaviors have contributed to her pain and her hurt and her agony. And here's what she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter. She's there for her daughter. She feels like there's something that she's done in her parenting that's wrecked her daughter's life. My daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. My daughter, every thought she thinks is evil, and all her emotions are vile and dark, and and that way of thinking and that way of feeling just burst out of her, her in ugly, violent behavior. My daughter's got the devil in her. Now, There are repeated occasions in the ministry of Jesus when this kind of thing happens. A parent comes praying for a child. A person is possessed by a demon. Bam! Jesus just casts that demon back into the pit of hell. But this time, this time is different. Jesus is striding ahead, and he, Jesus, ignores her. What? 
When have you ever known from your uh, reading of Scripture, from your experience with Jesus personally, that he has ever ignored anyone in, in hurtful need? Jesus just pretends like she's not there, like she's invisible. Like, who gives a rip about you? It's like, this ain't my Jesus. Aliens have stolen my Jesus, and who's this heartless joker they left behind? But the followers of Jesus, that little cluster of disciples, the ones apprenticing to him that are supposed to become like him and do what he does, they think this is cool, baby. Yeah, Jesus, ignore her. We'll ignore her too because she's nothing. But then they can't ignore her anymore because she won't let up. She won't stop stalking Jesus. She won't cr stop crying out for her daughter and for mercy and calling Jesus God. And so finally the disciples say, they're like, the disciples, they came to Jesus and the force of the Greek is that they came one by one. Maybe Peter goes first, Lord, I know you're ignoring this person, but this is too much. You've got to tell her, pick up a rock and throw it at her. Just get her the heck out of here. She's gone from frustrating and annoying to this, this woman's got to go. The disciples, maybe Peter goes back and says, Andrew, hey, Jesus won't listen to me. You've got to go talk to him. And by, by the time that all 12 of them have had their say, the disciples came to Jesus one by one and urged him. This is an emergency, Lord. This is an emergency. That woman is related to somebody possessed by a demon. She's coming after us. Send her away. Chase her off like a dog, for she keeps crying out after us. As soon as those words fall from their lips, Jesus stops. And, and the woman is silenced. And then Jesus turns and, and doesn't look at the woman. He looks at this little huddle of disciples. And he says this. He says, I was sent only. I, I, he put tremendous emphasis on this word. I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the Jewish people. He's not talking to her, but she hears that she's got to be Jack Duck out of luck. Because Jesus is only for Jews. She's not a Jew. I read this and I have a panic attack. I'm not a Jew and I need for my sins forgiven. I need his mercy. I need his comfort. I need his counsel. I need his help. I need his peace. I long for his joy. I long for his hope, but I'm not Jewish. What about me? Jesus says that. The woman won't stop stalking him. You know what she does? She runs around that little huddle of disciples, throws, her feet at the, uh, throws herself at the feet of Jesus, bows her face in the dirt, and says, Lord, help me. Now, when has Jesus ever not answered that prayer? Just three words. You're God. I'm not. I need help. Help me, Lord. Boom. Jesus goes to work to our good, to her good. That was her anticipation. She is humbly worshiping Jesus. And in my imagination, I see Jesus going down on, on, on one knee and taking her by the shoulders, lifting her out of the dirt, maybe brushing her cheek, looks her in the eye, and with all the compassion of Christ, says in the disciples' hearing, but says looking into her heart, these words, it's not right, I'm I'm sorry. I can't do this. I can't help you. I'm sorry. It's not right to take the bread. Say bread. bread. 
Yeah, bread is a big deal in the Bible all the way back to the Old Testament when God fed his people bread from heaven. I mean, Jesus had just, right before this account, Jesus had just fed 5,000 men with some bread and their children and their wives. I mean, in this very region where Jesus has pointedly, purposefully come on a mission to teach a life lesson to his followers because their hearts are dark and to us because our hearts can go dark In this very region, a man of God, Elijah, came to a single mom and miraculously provided bread for she and her son for weeks and months, as long as she had bread is a big deal. I'll tell you why. It's not right to take the bread out of the children, the children of God, the Jewish people, out of their mouths and throw it to the dog. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Jesus called her the most disrespectful, disreputable, racial slur. It would be like me today using the N-word. You would just gasp, ask for my resignation, feel that I was a hypocrite, a loser, and a jerk. I mean, for Jesus, it's just good that Peter didn't have a Twitter account. This would have gone viral, and everybody would have been saying, Jesus is the worst kind of racist. So what the heck is going on here? Who is this Jesus? He ignores her. Why would he ever do that? She says, have mercy on me, O Lord. He does nothing. She says, help me, Lord. He says, sorry, can't do that. I'm just for Jewish people. Now, bread... Here's why bread's a big deal throughout the Bible. Bread symbolizes the Lord's miracles, God's blessing on a person's life. So it's why we celebrate and experience communion every weekend. Because when you take that little piece of bread, you take that crumb of bread and you eat it, you are consuming the possibility of a miracle for your life. It's why Deb and I take communion nearly every evening in our home and pray for our children. We are praying for the miraculous in our children's lives and our grandchildren's lives and for our church and for our community. Because bread symbolizes, when we consume the bread, it symbolizes the miracles of God. We do it for our finances. We do it for whatever struggle we're going through, but we mostly do it because the bread that is the body of Christ is the supernatural power of God that changes things. But Jesus says, sorry, uh, you look like a nice person, but you're not a Jew, so you get no miracle. And what's Jesus doing You see, what what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said is exactly what has been on the mind and in the hearts of those 12 men following him. They have racist thoughts and they have racist hearts. And Jesus is just giving words on the outside for what's living on the inside of his followers. They want to ignore people in need because they're of a different race. They want to reject people in need because they're of a different race. Even if they acknowledge the lordship of Jesus, no, you are racially different from me. You're out. You get no miracle. You're you're just a dog. Shoo the dog away. 
I mean, dogs don't have souls. About, I don't know, 40, over 40 years ago, I was an associate minister at a downtown church in Evansville, Indiana. Southern, southern, southern Indiana at the very tip right by uh, Kentucky. And um, had a friend call me on the phone. He worked at the local paper. He said he had a co-worker. She's an African-American young woman. And she's going through some really tough times. Would I be willing to spend some time with her, pray with her, and counsel her? Um, now, you probably know that I'm the world's worst counselor. In fact, if you come to me, don't ever come to me for counseling. If it happens by accident, if there's not another living person on the planet, and you do whatever I say, just do the opposite, and it'll probably work out good for you. <laughs> but I say, yes, I'm too young to know how terrible I am. And she comes. Her name's Karen. And Karen and I talk. She tells me her struggles. I pray with her um, week after week. And it's an opportunity, I feel, to share with her the gospel of Jesus Christ, that his body broken on the cross, his blood shed, changes everything. Jesus rose from the dead, and that supernatural power can be yours. And you know, ultimately, she said, um, David, I'm really grateful um, to you for this time. I'm more grateful to God. He's changed my heart. I want to be baptized. I want to become a, a Christ follower. I say, girl, you're in. I said, please call. I said, when do you want to do that? She says, right now. I said, okay, this is right after her work, the paper. I said, would you call your husband? He can come down here, and uh, we'll do your baptism. And, and, and we did. And for me, I can still remember her name. I'm not saying her last name, uh, but I remember her last name. The next Sunday, at the end of the service, Karen comes walking down the center aisle of the church. She's just been baptized. She wants to become a member of the church. And I take her hand and... Um, welcome her, and she confesses Christ, and I give her a hug, and service is over. We go on our ways, but on Monday morning, somebody's pounding on my office door, and I open the door. It's the senior minister in my office now. He shuts the door after me. You have caused me a world of trouble. What? You've blown up this church. Serious. What happened? He said, it was okay that you baptized that girl. But when you welcomed her as a member of this church, I had a number of families who left. Why? And he began to tell me, I mean, these ugly things. They said, here's one thing, literally they said, this is a true story. They said she doesn't have a soul. That black people don't have souls. I say, don't, don't go after them. We don't need them. We don't want them. And then I decided to come to Beloit, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, I love Evansville. I love that church. My brother has been the, on staff there as a lead pastor for now like uh, 40 years. But that's, literally, that's what those people said. And it broke my heart, and I wept. I still love Karen. I will never forget her baptism and her place in my life and her husband and my longing for him to come to Christ as well. But those people, those people were older. 
They were in their 70s. This was like 75, 76, 1975, 1976. So they were likely born in 1900 or early 1900s or late 1800s. But friends, old age is not an excuse for being racist. But before you clap too much, there is no excuse. I mean, maybe some white person did something hideous and hurtful to you because your skin is a different color than theirs, and you've been holding on to that bitterness. Someone hurting you, maybe some black person treated you poorly, or maybe some Hispanic person treated you poorly, or maybe some Asian person treated you poorly. If you hold on to there is no excuse for racism, and here's why. Not for anybody in this room, here's why. Because when we name Jesus as our Lord and Savior and are buried Him in the water of baptism, number one, we let go every hurt that's been done to us. And we take on the mind of Christ, and we think of others of every race and every culture the way Jesus thinks. And we feel about others the way Jesus feels about every person. And maybe, you, maybe God, just as Jesus was confronting these men of their racist attitudes, his followers, maybe he confronts you and you get all defensive and say, hey, Lord, I, I, I'm not racist. I mean, uh, there are people I work with that are black, or I have friends that are, are white, or we have a Spanish-speaking service at our church, so, you know, I couldn't uh, have racial issues about Latino people. But let's say you're driving down the street and you see a young African-American man striding up the street. What are you thinking about him? Or maybe you're pushing your cart through Walmart and you pass us a Latino family and they're speaking Spanish to each other. What do you think? You think, hey, if you're going to be in this country, you better speak English. You don't say it, but if you think it, it's racism. It is sin. And Jesus is showing his guys, he's trying to show us, that's not the way I think. That's not the heart of God. And if you follow me, you change your mind and you change your heart. You change your mind about the hurt and racial uh, prejudice that's been shown you. And you change your heart about how you think of other people. Here's what, if I could put it in my own words, here's what Jesus says. Your low opinion of other people is not the same as my high opinion of every person. Every person. Your prejudiced ways are not the same as my all-accepting ways of love. I love everyone. Um, last Sunday after church, uh, Ray and his three daughters... Um, came to our house for dinner. Jake and Miriam and little David were uh, there, and Aaron and Lovia. Uh, Lovia's our, our daughter. She, they, they came over. Um, we were having dessert around the table. The littlest girl of Ray, she was off with little David, and the two older girls were in sacked out on the couches. Young people do that. Lots of naps. Um, anyway, we're sitting at the table um, Ray, if you haven't picked up on this, he's African-American. Um, Miriam is Latino, uh, born in Puerto Rico, raised in Puerto Rico, loves Puerto Rico, prays, we pray for Puerto Rico. And my 
My beautiful daughter, uh, Lovia, is Haitian-American, <laughs> maybe mostly Haitian. But um, those guys began to open up as I listened, and they began to share um, how they had personally suffered racial prejudice. I mean, sometimes the hurt that brought, was brought to their lives to me was unthinkable. Other times it might seem to you if you weren't in their shoes, well, that was thoughtless and insensitive. No, it hurt them deeply. And I'm not going to tell their stories. It's their story. I, I, I just want us as a church to make this our practice. Number one, let's practice thinking the best of all people of all races. I'm an old white guy who eats Spam. Don't hold it against me. When you see me eating Spam, I want you to think, that guy is made in the image of God. He is a child of God, worthy of my unconditional dignity, respect, and love. And when you're driving down the street and you see that young African-American man striding down the street, you look at him and you say to yourself, that is a young man made in the image of God. He's a child of God, worthy of my unconditional respect, dignity, and unconditional love. And you're pushing your car through Walmart and there's a Hispanic family talking Spanish to each other. And you think to yourself, those people, that mom, dad, those little children, they are children of God. They are made in the image of God and they are worthy of my unconditional respect, dignity, and love. Because when Jesus gave his body, the bread of life on the cross, it was for everyone. When he shed his blood, it was for every race, every color, every creed. In fact, as you think the best of other people, of every race, color, and culture, you're getting ready for heaven. Because here's heaven. This is the way people sing to Jesus in heaven. They say, Lord Jesus, you were slain. You died on the cross. By your blood, you saved people for God from every race, every language, every people, and nation. Number two, in addition to thinking the best about all people of all color, culture, and background, number two, let's practice giving grace to all people of all races. God has been good to me, and I don't deserve it. God knew what a loser, what a sinner, what a lousy person I would be and he let me get married anyway. He let me have children and grandchildren anyway. He let me be a pastor anyway. He has just shown me grace after grace after, and the same is true of you. You don't deserve, what we deserve, what I deserve is to go to hell. That's what you deserve for your sin, but Jesus has shown you grace instead. He has given you good gifts that you don't deserve, and they have nothing to do with your outward appearance. It has everything to do with your heart and your mind. I was, um, I was in Blue Collar Coffee downtown Beloit uh, this past week, and as I was mentoring a local pastor, and as I was coming out, an older African-American gentleman came in and got water. It's free. He says, I want to talk to you. Okay. I waited for him outside. He told me he's homeless, and man, my heart, I don't care, white, black, brown, red, or purple, if you're homeless, my heart goes out. I want to, I want to make a difference. I want to go with you where you're staying. And I'm not sure this guy was absolutely truthful with me. I, I, I don't know. But I know I had to show him grace. So I'm not going to tell you everything I did because you'll think I'm stupid. 
But I, I did give him a ride in my truck. I took him someplace. And um, he, he started touching the interior of my truck, going, oh, my gosh, I've never ridden in some, such a nice truck. And I said, that's an old, it's an old truck. And he's like, man, I feel like somebody riding in this truck. I was like, friend, you are somebody. It's not about the truck. God loves you, man. You are made in the image of God. Oh, I got to tell you something. Actually, when most, when most, the vast majority of people in the day of Jesus, when his disciples would have used a racial slur for dog, disrespectful, um, Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he used a different word. It was a curveball to the woman, but the woman, when she gets it, she's like, oh my gosh, I got a chance. My daughter's got a chance. I can get a miracle. I can get the bread of God. Here's what Jesus said. Instead of using the, the vile Greek word uh, for dog that was a racial slur, he uses a different word. He uses the word canaria, and it means little pet puppy. He's like, you're my little pet puppy. Because what do little pet puppies get? They get held. They get loved. You're so cute. I love. <laughs> now I've never kissed a pet puppy, but you have, and you fed them from your table, and you love them, and your heart would be broken if anything bad happened to them. And the woman gets it, and she says this to Jesus. Lord, even little pet puppies get to eat the bread from their master's table. And every crumb consumed is a possibility of a miracle for me and my daughter. And did you know that communion is called the Lord's table, the master's table, and when you take that little piece of bread every week and you eat it, you are consuming the possibility of a miracle for your life. It's the supernatural power of God that changes things. You see, Jesus was willing to go into enemy territory, though he didn't consider it enemy territory because he knows every person, every color of every race has a sinner fallen short of the glory of God and needs the salvation of Jesus Christ. So he'll go to anybody of any color in any place to offer the grace of God. So, so here's what drew him. Bold belief in the goodness and grace of Jesus gets his miracles. It's not that her belief was like bigger or more intense or more passionate. It's that she trusted that Jesus would be good to her. And something happened in the hearts of the disciples. Jesus showed them the ugly racism in their hearts, and they changed. And one chapter later in Matthew... This woman, she's the first person on the planet who publicly said, Jesus, you are the Son of God. One chapter later, Peter steps forward and says, Lord, I believe now. I believe now. I get it. Now it's in my heart. Now it's in my mind. I want the evil out. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus lifts that woman up. She's like, I'm your pet puppy, Jesus. Feed me. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Your daughter was healed from that very 
Her daughter was healed from that very moment. She went home and found her child lying on bed and the demon gone. Can you imagine that, Mom? Can you imagine me to know how good God has been to a man like me? Can I imagine you? Every time Jesus gave a miracle to a Gentile like you or a Gentile like me, he didn't say, hey, I better go to your house, make sure everything's cool and all right. Better touch that child and shake the devil out of him. All Jesus had to do was think it. So last night, Deb and I, before bed, when we prayed over our children, our grandchildren, over you, we said, Lord Jesus, just, just think miracles over our church. Just think miracles over our children and our grandchildren. I know you, all you got to do is say the word, but I believe all you got to do is think the thought, and the miracle happens. I pray when you look at the heart of Jesus, you change your mind about other people and you change your heart of grace toward others. Would you stand with me, please? Our Father God, let me just start off by saying I'm sorry. Uh, When I was a young man, um, through my early growing up years, raised in a redneck racist town, I laughed at the wrong kind of jokes, and I told the wrong kind of jokes. And I repent of that sin. Fifty years later, I ain't that guy no more, and I never want to be that guy ever again. I want your heart. I want your mind, Jesus. And in behalf of the church that I serve, I say we're sorry for everybody here. Because all of us, brown, black, white, we've all um, thought the wrong thing about others. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. We want to keep our thoughts set on things above. Forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for whining, moaning, and groaning. We celebrate you and worship you. Oh, God, have mercy on us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.